Hi, everyone. Welcome to my construction defense webinar. And happy fall. I can't believe it's October already. Uh, my name is Tashia Rasool. I'm a partner here at Lois Law Firm. At Lois, uh, we defend um, workers' compensation claims in New York and New Jersey. And I specialize in defending workers' compensation claims that arise out of construction accidents. I also oversee our designated team that handles these types of uh, claims. All of the attorneys and paralegals on my team handle only um, workers' compensation claims that arise out of construction accidents. That's their specialty. I am also the author of our Construction Defense Handbook, which is new this year. It has everything you need to know uh, for defending a construction uh, workers' compensation claim. If you haven't yet received a copy, please send me an email. I can email you a PDF copy or I can send you a hard copy. Um, this month, we are going to be focusing on uh, coverage issues uh, that arise in construction claims. So what exactly are we going to be discussing today? We're going to be talking about who or what is covered under a wrap-up policy. We're going to be talking about what kinds of coverage disputes arise in workers' compensation claims, and how do we prepare to address these coverage disputes. So let's get started. Who's covered under a wrap-up? Now, in order to be covered under a wrap-up program, a contractor must be what we call enrolled, meaning they go through a bidding process, a vetting process, fill out lots of paperwork, which is reviewed by the OSIP program, and then they are approved to do work on the job site. If you're not enrolled, you're not covered. However, I do note that non-enrolled contractors will be on the job site. It happens in pretty much every wrap-up program, and it's only because they don't meet certain parameters, that's why they're not enrolled and covered. So, for example, if they're there only for a certain number of hours, for example, if they come in just for one day or two days, they're not going to be covered. If their contract value is under a certain uh, amount, um, let's say under $50,000, they're not going to be covered. Hazardous materials vendors, such as asbestos removal, generally not covered. In many wrap-up programs, demolition is not covered. So all of the contractors who are there for the first few months where they're doing demo work, um, if a claimant gets injured while doing that kind of work, the claim should be denied. They're not gonna be covered because they're not enrolled. So whenever we have a claim, one of the first things that we need to address is whether the contractor, the employer, was actually covered under the wrap-up uh, via enrollment. And um, if they were, then okay, we have uh, coverage for the claim, uh, notwithstanding any uh, substantive issues or reasons for us to actually deny the claim. There just wouldn't be a coverage issue. All right. Let's see, what exactly is covered under a wrap-up? So over the, the, the past um, 
several webinars I've done. Um, we've been talking about uh, you know operational versus a wrap-up policy. So an operational policy is the policy that an employer needs for day-to-day -day operations, right? However, the wrap-up policy is for a specific project, or it can be for specific projects, more than one, maybe three projects that are going on in New York City or in a particular borough, um, or you know, three different locations of the same uh, uh, company or facility. And they're also for a specific time period. So when we're looking at a, um, uh, a claim that comes in and to determine whether there's a coverage issue, we have to make sure that the claimant was actually working on the project that the policy covered and that it's also within a specific time period. And if they were, then there most likely would not be a coverage issue, all right? Um, Okay, so let's get into coverage issues that arise. So, like I mentioned, many make the assumption that all work and contractors are covered, but that is wrong. We talked about the enrolled and non-enrolled contractors. Uh, that's usually an issue that comes up oftentimes, you know. So, let's just say the asbestos removal company is on the job site the claimant was injured, the claimant was working for that company and was injured while doing asbestos removal. He files a workers' compensation claim. Everyone's pointing their fingers at the wrap-up on the project because, you know, the wrap-up is supposed to cover everything. We then get the claim, get notice of the claim, reviewing our policy and all of the, uh, the accompanying policy documents and then we see, wait, this, this vendor was um, an asbestos removal company on the job site, not enrolled. Therefore, there's no way our policy can cover this, um, this claim that the claimant is bringing. Um, <clears throat> date of loss, you know, there are times when the claimant's been working for the same employer for five years or more for a very long time. And um, he claims that an accident occurred. And when the board is doing its coverage search, it pulls up the most recent policy, which happens to be our wrap-up policy. But because we are the policy that, um, you know, like the most recent one doesn't necessarily mean that we cover the date of loss. So we have to be very, very careful um, examining uh, when exactly the claimant was injured, whether the wrap-up program was even in effect on that particular day, date, and um, that's going to help us assess whether, you know, there's a viable coverage defense or our policy actually covers that particular date of loss. Um, another situation where we might see that happening is that the project ended, um, the, the, the policy period ended, but for some strange reason, the claimant is back on the job site after the policy ended, and that's when he got injured. Well, our defense would be that there's no coverage because the, the, the coverage period ended and the claimant wasn't supposed to be in the job site in the first place, okay? Um, the phase of the project, uh, like I mentioned, demolition is oftentimes not covered. 
So the first few months when the contractors are on there doing their demo work, um, the claimant may rightfully be there because he's employed by the contractor to do the work and he sustains an accident, but uh, it's not covered under the wrap-up. He files the claim. His, um, his employer says, well, you know, this, this is the insurance company that covers the wrap-up, so go file it against them. Or, <clears throat> excuse me, he files it with the board. The board pulls up the, the policy for the wrap-up and say, hey, you guys are liable. Oh, wait, no. Our defense is demolition is not covered under the wrap-up, so there can be no coverage. And the last um, like major scenario where uh, coverage issues arise is in occupational and repetitive injury claims. Uh, this is an ongoing battle um, where we are uh, arguing that the operational policy should be liable, especially when the claimant's been working for the employer for several years, um, uh, doing work in other job sites and outside of the wrap-up. Um, but uh, it, it's definitely a defense to raise, and it's definitely something we should continue arguing that um, the occupational and repetitive injury claims should be on the operational policy. So how do we prepare to handle these coverage disputes? Um, it's, it's fairly simple. We just need to know what we need to have, right? Um, so we should know what the policy covers. We should know the who, the what, the where, the when. Um, we should know what the claim is for. And this goes specifically to, was there a specific accident or was it an occupational or repetitive injury claim. Um, we should get all of our policy documents in order. I know this seems uh, kind of cliche, but it's very important that we have them all lined up, especially from the beginning, um, to, to present to your defense counsel in order to um, you know, pursue a coverage defense. And important, uh, mo probably most importantly is Start getting your underwriter on board to testify as soon as you know of a claim and you, your preliminary assessment shows that there may not be coverage on there. The underwriters are very busy, um, so we like to talk to them uh, as soon as we can and ensure that they're going to be available to testify if we need them to uh, testify to any of the terms of the policy, you know, like what it covers, who it covers, and so forth. And then get all of this information to your defense counsel before the first hearing. And towards the end of this uh, webinar, I'll talk about what exactly happens at, at in, in court with these coverage claims. So I'll go over why it's important to get all of this information to your counsel before that first hearing. The documents that are needed to discuss, uh, defend coverage disputes. So your defense counsel will need the actual policy. This can be 50 pages, 100 pages. I've seen some of them 200 pages. But we need the entire policy to produce to the board. Then we also need the policy binder materials, which is usually 
additional documentation with some explanation of some of the policy terminologies and the coverages and so forth. The declaration sheet is this one-page document that's pretty much a summary of the coverage. It shows, um, you know, like the policy limits, the policy period, who the insurance carrier is, who the broker is, and the party that is um, uh, insured and covered under the wrap-up. We should also get the policy manual, which provides a lot of details also about the policy and the wrap-up. It helps us to understand um, how the wrap-up works in conjunction with the policy. So that's very key. Um, we uh, oftentimes, um, <clears throat> the judges don't really understand what this is, but we can definitely use it to uh, explain the policy and coverage to them and um, have claim have the judge at least uh, discharge and remove us from notice. Um, and then the enrollment log. We should always have these if we believe that the employer was not enrolled because um, the way it works is the, the wrap-up program would keep, it's usually an Excel sheet, a list of all of the contractors who enrolled, the period for which they're enrolled. So if we're saying that they're not supposed to be there because they weren't, um, I'm sorry, if we're saying that they're not uh, enrolled, um, then we should produce this log to show, well, these are the ones, these are the contractors who are actually enrolled and are supposed to be in the job site. And well, we don't see this name here. So that particular contractor is not um, enrolled. I know it's kind of weird and we've definitely faced the argument that, well, you're producing a document to uh, prove the negative, right? So because a name's not there, does it really mean that they were not um, enrolled in the project? When we face such a situation, we would have to bring in someone from the OSIP program to testify as to how the document's created and um, the authenticity of the document and you know what, what means that there are certain contractors listed there. And if the contractor is not listed there, that it really means that they're not enrolled on, in the program. So these are the documents we should all be familiar with. When your attorney asks you to send these over, I think we should gather them up very quickly. Usually um, the carrier would have, well, the carrier would have a copy of the policy, but usually the OSIP administrator would also have um, a copy of these policies. They would definitely have the policy manual and the um, the enrollment log and everything else you can get from the actual insurance carrier. All right, so how are these coverage issues handled in court? So one of the complaints I get from my clients all the time, and I really, really, you know, agree with their position is some of these um, coverage issues it's it's really a waste of our time because what happens is when we go into court and we raise coverage as a defense um the judges are like okay well who are the other potential carriers you tell us who you think they are or the judge would direct the board to conduct an investigation to find the other potential carriers 
Now, even though we would request it, even though we have all of this documentation, um, the judges oftentimes keep us in because they don't want the case to be lingering without a carrier attached to it, right? So the judges would keep us in and then we come back for another hearing where additional carriers are added and then no one's accepting coverage and then one of the carriers added is saying, well, oh, it's this other carrier, so we have to come back for another hearing. I've seen coverage issues drag out for months, um, more than a year, unfortunately. It's very, very frustrating. It's frustrating for us, it's frustrating for my clients, and I completely understand why. Um, but what we've been doing more and more is having all of our ducks lined up from the very beginning. So earlier I said, you know, let's get these documents to your attorneys before the very first hearing. So what we do is we upload them all into the board file and we come back for the, uh, the next hearing where the additional carriers are on there. And we say, judge, listen, no one else has produced their documentation. We've produced our documentation. This is what's happening. I need to take the claimant's testimony very briefly, even if the other carriers think more carriers should be added. I just need to confirm where he worked, when he worked, when exactly was the accident. And look, my documents uh, contradict what he's saying. There's no way he worked, um, there's no way we should be liable because he's telling us he didn't work on the project. And that's, that's how we get out of it sooner rather than later. Um, <clears throat> of course, there are situations where the judges, uh, because they don't understand how wrap-up works oftentimes, and that, that's really an issue. Uh, they would just keep us in only because we cover the employer, uh, you know, regardless of the fact that we're actually just a wrap-up for a specific program, and we're dragged on into it. But I can tell you from experience from doing so many of these coverage uh, defense um, that, uh, having all the documentation, being armed with someone to testify is really the key way of getting out of it or we can simply be found, easily be found to have coverage for a claim that's really not ours. Ultimately, in the ones where everyone's pointing their fingers at each other or if it's an issue where <clears throat> the claimants bring in an occupational or repetitive injury claim and we're saying the operational carrier should be uh, liable in those situations, we would have to go all the way to trial where we're taking full testimony of the claimant, we're producing our employer witnesses, we're getting um, all of the medical records and trying to, to uh, put together this argument to show that because he's been doing this for so many years and he's been in our project only for two weeks, there's no way that the work in the project could have contributed to his condition and that's why we shouldn't have any coverage. So in those particular situations, we go, um, we end up going to actual trial. Um, but the other situations where, um, you know, it's 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 a, a date of loss issue or an enrolled contractor or simply where the claimant worked within the first few hearings, as long as we have all the documentation we need, we should be able to get out and uh, curb the exposure right there and then, all right? So um, the bottom line is um, knowing what the claim is for, 
uh, knowing your wrap-up program, knowing what your policy covers, this would help us to properly defend any coverage issues that come up. All right, so that's all I have for this um, this month's webinar. Uh, I think it's it's pretty um, it's it's the coverage issues is is something that comes up very often, but I think it's pretty simple to resolve as long as we have the documentation we need to so keep that in mind. Um, <clears throat> Next month, we are going to talk about calculating exposure in these wrap-up uh, pol policy claims, wrap-up program claims, sorry. Um, as you know, for those of you who have been joining me since January, one of the goals of uh, this webinar is to discuss how we can curb exposure, reduce exposure for our clients. And <clears throat> we've talked about Last month, I talked about settlements. Um, it was a little bit of a tease. This month, I wanted to do something light, so I'm focusing on the coverage uh, issues this month. And then next month, we're gonna go back to calculating exposure, which is in conjunction with the settlement. But I'll go through all of the things that we need to know um, and how to apply them to your particular case and to determine whether we should be doing a um, uh, uh, zero dollars section 32 with a partial lien waiver or full lien waiver or you know standalone settlement or a global settlement so we'll talk about all of those again so next month's going to be a little bit intense fair warning um, but come with your questions on calculating exposure all right um, that's it everyone thank you for listening um, just so you know, if you'd like to listen to the, the, any of the past webinars, they're archived and they're on our website, so you can definitely um, watch them again there. Um, have a great October. I'll see you right here in November. Take care, everyone.